Volume One, Chapter Eight of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Frances Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter Eight. All that she had heard of the Methodist preacher had taken strong hold of Minnie Bodkin's imagination. Mr. Diamond's description of him especially delighted her. It was in piquant contrast with her previous notions about Methodists, who were associated in her mind with ludicrous images. This man must be something entirely different, picturesque and interesting. But there was a deeper feeling in her mind than the mere curiosity to see a remarkable person. Minnie was not happy, and her unhappiness was not solely due to the fact of her bodily infirmities. She often felt a yearning for a higher spiritual support and comfort than she had ever derived from her father's teachings. She passed in review the congregation of the parish church, most of whom were known to her, and she asked herself what good result in their lives or characters was produced by their weekly church-going. Was Mrs. Errington more truthful? Miss Chubb less vain? Mr. Warlock less gloomy? Her father? For Minnie, in the pride of her keen intellect, spared no one. Less arrogant and overbearing? She herself more patient, gentle, hopeful, and happy, than if the old bell of St. Chad's were silent, and the worm-eaten old doors shut, and the dusty old pulpit voiceless for evermore? Yet there were said to be people on whom religion had a vital influence. She wished she could know such. She could judge, she thought, by seeing and conversing with them, whether or not there were any reality in their professions. Minnie seldom doubted the sufficiency of her own acumen and penetration. No, she was not happy. And might it not be that this Methodist man had the secret of peace of mind? Was there in truth a physician who could minister to a suffering spirit? She thought of Powell with the feeling half of shame, half of credulity with which an invalid hankers after a quack medicine. Minnie had been taught to look upon dissenters in general as quacks, and upon Methodists as arch-quacks. Dr. Bodkin professed himself a staunch churchman and a hater of Kant. He considered that Protestantism, and the right of private judgment, had justly reached their extreme limit in the Church of England, as by law established. He detested enthusiasm as a dangerous and disturbing element in human affairs, and he viewed with especial indignation the pretensions of unlearned persons to preach and proselytize. Although he had no leaning to Romanism, he would rather have admitted a Jesuit into his house than a Methodist. Indeed, he sometimes defined the latter to be the Jesuit of dissent, only as he would take care to point out, a Jesuit without learning, culture, or authority. "'I can listen to a gentleman, although I may not agree with him,' the doctor would say, albeit in truth he had no great gift of listening to any one who opposed his opinions." "'But am I to be hectored and lectured by the cobbler and the tinker?' Minnie had no taste for being hectored or lectured, but it seemed to her that what the cobbler and tinker said was more important than the fact that it was they who said it. She thought and pondered and wondered about the Methodist preacher and about her chance of ever seeing or hearing more of him, until a thought darted into her mind like an arrow. Little Rhoda! She was a Methodist born and bred, and knew this preacher, and Minnie would send for little Rhoda. When she announced this resolution to her mother— Mrs. Bodkin found several difficulties in the way of its fulfilment. "'What do you want with her, Minnie?' "'I want to see her. Mrs. Harrington talks so much of her. I remember her coming here with a message once when she was a child. I recollect only little fair face and shy eyes, under a coal-scuttled straw bonnet. Don't you, Mamma? "'And I want to talk to her about several things,' added Minnie, with resolute truthfulness. "'Oh, dear me, what will your papa say?' "'I don't see how Papa can object to my asking this nice little thing to come over to me for an afternoon, when he doesn't mind your boring yourself to death with Goody Barton, whose snuff-taking would try the nerves of a rhinoceros, nor forbid my inviting the little Jobsons, 
who are unpleasant to look upon and stupid beyond the wildest flights of imagination he lets me have any one i like yes but you teach the little jobsons the alphabet my dear and that is charitable work and rhoda will amuse me and i am sure that is a charitable work minnie would get her own way of course she always did that same evening minnie said to her father with her frank bright smile papa may i not ask rhoda maxfield to take tea with me some afternoon rhoda what little maxfield the grocer's daughter papa said minnie boldly mrs bodkin bent nervously over her knitting what on earth for why do you want to associate with such folks have you not plenty of friends without no papa but i don't ask her because i'm in want of friends oh minnie said mrs bodkin in the quick low tones she habitually spoke in i'm sure nobody has more friends than you have everybody is so glad to come to you always you're my friend mamma and papa is my friend never mind the rest i want to have little maxfield to tea minnie laughed at herself the moment after she had said the words in the tone of a spoiled child dr bodkin crossed and uncrossed his legs kicked a footstool out of the way and then got up and stood before the fire if you want amusement isn't there miss chubb or the mcdougalls or plenty more said he shooting out his upper lip and frowning uneasily now papa can you say in conscience that you find miss chubb and the mcdougalls perennially amusing then with a sudden change of tone besides you know the other people are playing their parts in life and strutting about hither and thither on the stage and they find it all more or less interesting but i i am like a child at a peep-show i can but look on and i sometimes long for a change in the scene and the puppets the doctor began to poke the fire violently laura he said addressing his wife that last tea you got is good for nothing they brought me a cup just now in the study that was absolutely undrinkable is it smith's tea well try maxfield's you can have some ordered when the message is sent for the girl to come here in this way the doctor gave his permission the next day minnie dispatched her maid jane with the following note to mr maxfield will mr maxfield allow his daughter rhoda to spend the afternoon with miss bodkin miss bodkin is an invalid and cannot often leave her room and it would give her great pleasure to see rhoda the maid shall wait and accompany rhoda if mr maxfield permits and miss bodkin undertakes to have her sent safely home again in the evening old max was scarcely more surprised than gratified on reading this invitation he stood behind his counter holding the pink perfumed note between his flowery finger and thumb and turning over the contents of it in his mind whilst his son james served the maid with some tea miss minnie was a much looked up to personage in whitford and here was miss minnie inviting rhoda just as though she had been a lady and sending her own maid for her this would be algy's doing the old man decided algy had more sense than his mother algy knew that rhoda was fit to go anywhere and could hold her own with the best the young fellow was very thick with dr bodkin's family and had no doubt talked to miss minnie about rhoda all sorts of ideas thronged into old max's head which nevertheless looked as obstinately ideal as a one as could well be imagined as he stood conning the pink note with his grey eyebrows knotted together and his heavy underlip pursed up perhaps not the feeblest element in his feeling of exultation was the sense of triumph over david powell powell might approve or disapprove but anyway he would see that he was wrong in supposing the erringtons did not think that rhoda good enough for them if they had introduced her about among their friends that meant a good deal eh brother david and that the invitation came by means of the erringtons maxfield felt more and more convinced the more he thought of it so many years had passed and miss minnie had taken no notice of rhoda why should she now maxfield was at no loss to find the answer maybe old mrs errington had talked for talk's sake more than she meant maybe her boasting was in order to drive a hard bargain when algy should come forward and offer to make rhoda a lady 
the errington's friends were going little by little to make acquaintance with rhoda in view of the promotion that awaited her well rhoda could stand the test rhoda was quite different from the likes of him he called his sister-in-law out of the kitchen and in a few hurried words told her of the invitation and bade her tell rhoda to get ready without delay he cut betty grimshaw short in her exclamations and inquiries i've no time to talk to you now he said the maid is waiting bid rhoda clothe herself in her best garments what her sunday frock jonathan exclaimed betty in shrill surprise sh woman answered maxfield and gripped her wrist fiercely he did not want that family detail to come to the ears of miss bodkin's maid rhoda was completely bewildered by the invitation and by the breathless haste with which betty announced it to her and hurried her preparations but i don't want to go murmured rhoda plaintively at the same time she suffered her clothes to be huddled on to her in aunt betty's rough fashion ah tell that to your parent my dear i have the mark of his fingers on my wrist at this moment he was in such a taking and so uncombounable this latter was a word of betty's own invention and she frequently employed it with the air of great relish the idea of going amongst strangers was more terrible to rhoda than can easily be conceived by those who have never lived so secluded a life as hers had been had she been able to say a word to algernon she thought she should have derived a little comfort and support from him but he and his mother were both from home all the way from her house to dr bodkins rhoda uttered no word except to ask jane timidly if she were sure miss minnie would be alone quite alone the gloomy courtyard and the stone entrance hall of the house struck her with awe the old man-servant who opened the door seemed to look severely on her she followed jane with a beating heart up the wide staircase whose thick carpet muffled her footsteps mysteriously and then through a drawing-room full of furniture all covered with grey holland there was the glitter of gilt picture frames on the walls and the shining of a great mirror and of a large dark polished pianoforte at one end of the room and there was a mingled smell of flowers and cedar-wood and altogether the impression made upon rhoda's senses as she passed through the apartment was one of perfume and silence and vague splendour she had no time even if she had had self-possession to examine the details of what seemed to her so grand for she was led across a passage and into a room opposite to the drawing-room and found herself in miss bodkin's presence the room was minnie's bedroom but it did not look like a sleeping-chamber rhoda thought to be sure a little white curtained bed stood in one corner but all the toilet apparatus was hidden by a curtain which hung across a recess and there were bookshelves full of books and flowers on a stand and a writing-table on one side of the fireplace in which a bright fire blazed there was a curious sort of long chair and in it dressed in a loose crimson robe of soft woollen stuff reclined minnie bodkin rhoda was as has been said extremely sensitive to beauty and minnie's whole aspect struck her with admiration the picturesque rich-coloured robe the delicate white hands relieved upon it the graceful languor of minnie's attitude and the air of refinement in the young lady and her surroundings were all intensely appreciated by poor little rhoda who stood dumb and blushing before her hostess minnie on her part was a good deal taken by surprise she welcomed rhoda with her sweetest smile and thanked her for coming and made her sit down by the fire opposite to herself and when they were alone together she talked on for some time with a sort of careless good-nature which little by little succeeded in setting rhoda somewhat at her ease but careless as minnie's manner was she was scrutinizing the other girl's looks and ways very keenly she's absolutely lovely thought minnie and so graceful and ladylike yes positively that is the word she is shy as a fawn but no more awkward than one it is not what i expected perhaps minnie could scarcely have said what it was that she had expected 
probably a quiet pretty-looking well-behaved young person like her maid jane rhoda was something very different and the young lady was charmed with her new protege only she was obliged to admit before the afternoon was over that she had failed in the main object for which she had invited rhoda to visit her there was no clear and vivid account of powell his teaching or his preaching to be got from rhoda rhoda could not remember exactly what mr powell said rhoda could not say what it was which made all the people cry and grow so excited at his preaching rhoda cried herself sometimes but that was when he talked very pitifully about poor people and little children and things like that sometimes too she felt frightened at his preaching but she supposed she was frightened because she had not got assurance many of the congregation had assurance yes oh yes the people said mr powell was a wonderful man and the most awakening preacher who had been in whitford for fifty years minnie looked at the simple serious face and marked the childlike demureness of manner with which rhoda declared mr powell to be an awakening preacher i don't think he has awakened you to any very startling extent thought minnie this girl seems to have received no strong influence from him this was in great measure the fact but also rhoda was held back from speaking freely by the conviction that her methodist phraseology would sound strange and perhaps absurd in the young lady's ears moreover it did not help to put her at ease that she felt sundry uneasy pricks of conscience for not bearing testimony with more fervour she knew that david powell would have had her improve the occasion to the uttermost but how could she run the risk of being disagreeable to miss minnie who was so kind to her that was the form in which rhoda mentally put the case the truth was hers was not one of those natures to which the invisible ever becomes more real and important than the visible it was incomparably more necessary to her happiness to be in agreeable and smooth relations with the people around her than to feel herself in higher spiritual communion with unseen powers when minnie at length reluctantly desisted from questioning her on the subject of powell and her chapel-going and her religious feelings she was surprised to find how the girl's frigid constrained manner thawed and how her tongue was loosened she chatted freely enough about her visit to lawn ryden in the summer and about duckwell farm where her half-brother seth lived and above all about mrs errington mrs errington had been so good to her and had taught her and talked to her and did miss minnie know what a change it was for a lady like mrs errington to live in such a poor place as theirs for although she had the best rooms of course it was very poor compared with the castle she was brought up in about algernon she said very little but it slipped out that she was in the habit of being present when mr diamond came to read with the young gentleman and then miss minnie was very much interested in hearing what mr diamond said to his pupil and how rhoda liked mr diamond and what she thought of him and when it appeared that rhoda had thought very little about him at all but considered him a very clever learned gentleman perhaps a little stiff and grave but not at all unkind miss minnie smiled to herself and said he is a little stiff and grave rhoda not the kind of person to attract one very much eh and then the tea was brought and rhoda sipped hers out of a delicate porcelain cup like those which mrs errington had in her corner cupboard and there were some delicious cakes which rhoda was quite natural enough to own she liked very much and then mrs bodkin came in and sat down beside her daughter and finally at minnie's request she took rhoda into the drawing-room and played to her on the grand piano rhoda likes music she says mamma but she has never heard a good instrument do play her a bit of mozart i'm no great performer my dear said mrs bodkin opening the piano but i keep up my playing on my daughter's account she is not strong enough to play for herself minnie had her chair wheeled into the drawing-room in order as she whispered to her mother to enjoy rhoda's face when she should hear the music rhoda sat by and listened in a trance of delight while mrs bodkin made the keys of the instrument delicately sound a minuet of mozart and then give forth more volume of tones in the heavens are telling 
this was different indeed from the tinkling old harpsichord at home the music transported her when it ceased she was breathing quickly and her eyes were full of tears oh how beautiful she faltered out why child you are a capital audience said mrs bodkin smiling kindly then it was time to go home she was made to promise that she would come again and see minnie whenever her father would let her she left dr bodkin's house in a very different frame of mind from that in which she had entered it yet she was as silent on her way home as she had been in the afternoon how happy gentlefolks must be who always can have music and flowers and talk in such soft voices and are so polite in their manners and so dainty in their persons she could not help contrasting the coarse rough ways at home with the smoothness and softness of the life she had had a glimpse of at dr bodkin's she tried to hold fast in her memory the pleasant sights and sounds of the day in this mood half enjoying half regretful she arrived at her father's house to find the little parlour full of people besides her own family and powell there were two or three neighbours who joined in the exercises and a prayer-meeting just culminating in a long-drawn hymn bawled out with more zeal than sweetness by the little assembly End of chapter 8